Conscient Podcast episode 91. I'm with Keith Barker, who I've known for a few years. We both worked at the Canada Council and were in the offices of the Native Earth Performing Arts Centre or, or company. So welcome, Keith. Hey, it's, it's great to be here. So we, um, I, I'm so happy to have you on, on the program because we've been talking about art for many years. Um, and you run an Indigenous uh, performing arts company, but you're also a playwright yourself. So maybe you can just introduce yourself uh, to the listeners, and then we can talk about art and environment and all kinds of other, sh- other issues. Great. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Keith Barker. I am a member of the Métis Nation of Ontario. My grandfather is from Mattawa, but I was raised mostly in Treaty 3 territory. Uh, I'm currently the Artistic Director at Native Earth Performing Arts, which is Canada's oldest professional Indigenous theatre company in Canada. And we are here in De Garanto, um, uh, right in Regent Park, uh, in the Daniel Spectrum Building. We have one of the very few urban Indigenous theatre spaces here in Aki Studio in Canada, which is you know, amazing fact, but also a really sad fact that there's not so many Indigenous-run theatre spaces in, in this country. Uh, what else can I say? Uh, I'm a playwright. I am. A, I started off as an actor. I'm also a playwright. And, uh, yeah, I've uh, been in this job for five years now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, before that, you were at the council uh, working in theatre before it all changed and yeah. created... I was there for the transition. Right. Yeah. That historic moment when, when the council uh, created the Creating Knowing and Sharing program. And we won't get into all that, but it, it was an interesting time. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on art and environment, you know, uh, the, the climate crisis in particular, but uh, how do you uh, approach it as an artist and as an artistic director? Because inevitably in your programming, I'm sure it's a concern. Yeah, I mean... It's an interesting thing that it's something that's on people's radar now. I mean, so much of the work that I've... Like, I was an artistic associate at Native Earth in 2008 under Yvette Nolan uh, for two years. And we were talking about land and about global issues and around, you know, uh, the global crisis in terms of, you know, getting land back and looking at, you know, these pipelines and stuff like that. Like, people were fighting on the land have been fighting on the land for so long that it's just part of a lot of people. We, we work with artists from coast to coast to coast, indigenous artists from different communities, and everyone brings their story in of their clashes with government and with big corporations. And uh, we were actually, you and I, we were in Banff a couple of years ago for the, the global, we had this uh, uh, global warming conference. And one of the things one of the scientists said to us is that indigenous communities there is a, an indigenous community within 50 kilometers of every major mining uh, uh, extraction in the world which just goes to show how uh, how close we are in terms of communities that are coming up against this and people getting sick and water being you know polluted and trees being cut down and natural habitats and you know, we so many artists bring these stories to theater, and we we see it from from out in you know Vancouver or, or up in the north. People just talking about these issues. So to me, is like I feel like it's it's been present for so long that it's just part of our dialogue. But it's getting it's starting to really really like. Whereas we used to talk about the warnings, now people are talking about the impacts, mm-hmm. and that that's becoming the sad reality of some of the some of the theater I'm seeing. 
And how do you see theater as an art form contributing to those issues? Is it a question of raising awareness, or uh, how, how, what, what does theater, in particular indigenous theater, uh, contribute to, to those issues? That's a good question. I mean, definitely, you know, you support the voices of people who are on the front lines right now, telling the stories of people who are, like you, you look at what's Sudan out, out, out west right now, there are artists who are writing and telling these stories, and people who are on the front lines, that kind of uh, align with the things that are happening. People, you know, we had a we had a stage manager who was in who just stage managed one of our shows who was an ally, not an indigenous person, go and stand on the tracks in protest here in Toronto and was arrested and had to go through court or whatever, was one of the protesters. So to me is like not only is the work uh, talking about what's happening now, uh, it tends to also be the people that are in those shows are also you know, people are going back to their families and back to their communities to fight, to stand on these lines, to, to put their bodies in front of these things. So that's one of the things. But, you know, theater tends to, like, someone writes a play, it takes, took me, my second play took five years to write. And so there is this, there is this push right now to, to get voices out there now and the immediacy. And so I'm seeing lots of people uh, engaging in cabaret. Things that they can speak about the issues, talk about the things they want to talk about in a real time, real moment, rather than a play development over five years that is talking about these things. I mean, there's still lots of work talking that people are talking about global issues that five years from now are still going to be very relevant. But there's a there's a shift in terms of how people are are engaging with immediacy. Of course, there are podcasts and there's like you say, cabarets and monologues and all kinds of art forms that are all perfectly legitimate. And especially with <clears throat> the COVID crisis that's still unfolding, we've had to adapt to new ways of, of presenting and, and consuming, so to speak, uh, artworks. And what I'm saying is that there's, there's a bit of denial in the community about the severity of um, the climate emergency, right? People are aware that there's an issue. Uh, but it's hard to put your finger or to, to actually put your mind about the scope and so there's both anxiety and, and, and a difficulty. And what I've noticed is that uh, you're right, that artworks can, especially those that are um, dealing directly with the frontline workers, people who are affected, uh, it can really sensitize and bring people into a new experience, which can literally, and I mean it, transform people's uh, uh, outlook. And then they change, you know, they, so they see a play, they read a book, and all of a sudden they, they get it, or mm -hmm. they, they are moved. So in, in your programming in the, the next few years, I assume there will continue to be a sensitivity to a, a range of issues. Uh, and and I'm, just, I'm interested in your point of view as an artistic director of an indigenous theater company. What, what kind of works are you looking to program in the future that not necessarily address climate emergency, but are addressing the issues that are important to indigenous people today? These are, these are questions we're constantly asking ourselves. So what does the work look like? How do we address this? How do we, we always say that the idea of like, sometimes we're serving the work and sometimes we're serving the artist. And to serve the artist is to serve the community that is supporting them and to tell those stories. And, and so, you know, lots of the programming is, it's an interesting idea of like, people are, People are telling these stories that are complicated. And, you know, Yvette used to always say that, that people call it the black, the, the, the dark cloud of Indigenous theatre because they're telling stories that are, 
that are difficult to, to sometimes, like you said, they cause people, people get worried, people get scared, you know, they're difficult things for people to sit through. I never want anybody, like when we sit, like we have a young writers program called the Anemiki program. We have all these, and I say just young writers, someone could be in their 40s and be new to playwriting. Uh, but the work that's coming out and the things and the issues they want to engage with is all land-based. Like the whole, we just did our festival, Wasaga Czech Festival. It was all about land, land-based dramaturgy. It's all about like getting back to the land and speaking on the land. And it's about, and when you're on the land, then you also see the things that are happening on the land, the communities that are affected by these things. And so the actual artwork returning back to the land is actually then reflecting what is actually happening right now. Like from lack of snow to forest fires, like we had a whole, we had an indigenous artist just recently talked to us about a piece and they're just looking at this widespread like thing that no one's talking about is these wildfires that are happening that are just taking out all like whole provinces and we come to the fire season and it's unlike it hasn't ever been before and how that affects people. Like we have, we had a, you know, um, the artistic director of the National Arts Center, uh, Kevin Loring, his his family's from Linton, BC, and they wiped it all out. Like the forest, the, the fires wiped, completely wiped out that community. And so he has a company, their Savage Society, and they've switched from being a company that does community-based theater work to being a support, like they're handing out money, they're, the people are donating to them to then support those people. And so to me, it's like Kevin's talking about what is the next story he's going to tell. I, I think we're all aware of what story he's going to want to tell next, you know, or that he wants to support those stories that are talking about the things that, you know, the repercussions of some of these, these decisions around, you know, we just had this, the world just met to talk about the global crisis and we came away with not quite what is actually needed. They, they said, this is the line of where we need to be and they just reached underneath it. And so to me, it's like, you know, we're going to continue telling these stories. The artists keep, keep coming to us and telling these, um, these difficult, and, and you know, I, I, I keep going back in my head. Why I keep pausing is because so many artists are in this space right now where they feel they need to educate. And to me, it's not education. It's telling a really good story. I keep telling my artists anyway, and that's the way I've always, I look for stories that are not there just to educate people. What they are is they, if I tell a really good story and it happens to be about glo the global crisis, about global warming and about the effects on community, if I get your heart, then you're gonna go forward and look at other things. You're gonna start, doing some research he's like I want to look into that and so to me it's like I always tell people tell a really good story and get them on your side and then they'll go and do their own work as opposed to like these are the seven things that are happening in the you know in the world right now due to global warming and it's like when people feel that they they immediately start going to their shopping list or the things that they're going to do or if they feel they're being lectured but if you tell them a really good story they're going to be engaged in the story. They're going to, their heart's going to be in it. They'll have a nice little cry or they'll get angry and they'll, they'll walk out of that theater and they will feel empowered to do something or maybe empowered to read something or to reach out to an MP and say, I got to do something. Like I, when it's really good theater, I'm standing in the lobby here. Someone comes out like, and they're immediately going like, we got to do something about this. And that's when I know we're engaged on a, on a, in a conversation that that's when the art is working for me is when someone comes out invigorated by something. And that's the thing we need to be, like, um, I, t I took this course in the fall and they talked about uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in Peru. 
that was just talking about the the atrocities that had happened and the government was trying to do truth and reconciliation and they brought artists into those communities to engage with them before the truth and reconciliation showed up so the artists were actually hands-on in those spaces talking to people and animating their stories and then when the truth and reconciliation committee came in people were more ready to more ready people were more open to the idea of talking about these things. So to me, it's like artists being right in on the conversation, being present, and actually like pushing the agenda is absolutely the thing we need to be right. That's, that's where we need to be. And too many politicians and policy and all that stuff, it, all that stuff, you're watching that stuff like fail right now. And to put artists in spaces with community members telling their stories and talking about the crisis that's happening and engaging people, that's the power of theater. That's the power of art. That, that to me, is the thing that's going to push people to, to make changes or to start talking or to enter into dialogue. Because right now we have a left and a right that isn't going to speak. They don't like each other. They don't like their politics. But you get them in a room together and they actually have break bread and start having food they realize that they actually both their kids go to the same school they both drive the same car they both love hockey you know if we start like finding those connections through art then they they're going to engage and it doesn't matter if it's an indigenous artist telling that story or you know another ibpoc person or anybody else if you're telling a good story people are going to be engaged and and it'll compel you to want to do something that's exciting keith um i agree i there, on Wednesday, I, I did an interview with Shannon Litzenberger, mm-hmm. who you probably know, who's written a paper about how the arts community needs to change, I would say quite radically, mm. uh, through art practice, but also behavior, decolonization, all those kinds of things. Um, not spe- specifically about the climate emergency, but the, the, the precarity. She's talking about the precarity of the art sector and how the art sector uh, needs to have a stronger voice in, in social issues and uh, really transform. And so it's interesting to talk to you, because from your point of view, you're saying sort of the same thing. Uh, this afternoon, I'll be, or this, later this morning, I'm going to be uh, moderating a panel with Santi Smith. The environment and sustainability is an integral, if not the founding process of how we view the world. Interconnectedness, um, responsibility as human beings to be caretakers of the earth, to be forward thinkers about what we do now will affect seven generations later. And that has always been our understanding since um, we can remember. Uh, and it's written in into our uh, wampum belt designs and our pottery shards and, and all of those things that are encoded knowledge is that what I am using today and what my family has used uh, uh, to understand our, our responsibilities Art can be very powerful both in the past, in the present, and speculatively into the future. What is the future that we want? What is the future that is likely? How are we going to deal with um, you know, things that are happening and that will happen with more intensity? And, and the artist's voice there, I think, um, is so important as we go forward. Uh, in in working through the issues, like you say, if you if you bring artists into a reconciliation circle, especially if they're they're artists who who are skilled in those types, it can make all the difference in achieving success because people know each other, they've had that sort of circle dialogue experience. So there's so many ways that the arts can be applied in society, 
And yet there's this fear of instrumentalization, right? And so, well, we have to keep art for art for, and, and I agree, you know, art should do what it does, but mm. it does so many things. Yeah, it just does so many different things depending on where people are coming from, and and so you don't it doesn't always have to be a play on a stage, right? You that's what you do for a living, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put stage plays on stage, and yet you've have to do the you've had to do it differently in, in the last couple of years, and and future forward, I am sure, uh, and and I'm talking to the funders as well. Is we need some flexibility in, in, in how uh, companies and, and the art sector is going to do its work over the, the next few years, or the forever, in fact, because the world is changing so much. So the institutions need to change. We need to listen to each other, the community talking to the funders and so on and so forth. And, and I'm sometimes a little bit hopeful about our future, though when I f- look at the reality of the challenges that we face, I get quite discouraged. How, how do you feel? <laughs> Are you, do you have any sense of, uh, of, of, of what the future could and should look like? I mean, that's another big question. I think it, when, the, when this pandemic hit, I saw the precarity. Like, I was an artist. I have been that person. Like, I have friends who own houses and have things and have assets and stuff and you know, friends who were lawyers and doctors and nurses and went that way and I went as an artist and they always looked at me and were like, it's amazing what you do and we love what you do. It's so amazing. I love your lifestyle. But I had $600 in the bank account. Like, I I barely, I didn't have, I couldn't pay my second, like if I got sick, I wouldn't have been able to cover my rent if I had to take a month off. And that was always, and in this role, I see that. And then it was exposed. Like we were, I was just on a big call with um, a bunch of theater companies in Ontario and they were all saying is like the biggest loss is going to be the artists because we have not supported artists because the systems aren't in place for those. Art- when everything closed up and all that work dried up though, I had an artist here in Toronto. I was like, I can't afford rent in Toronto. There's no rent control. There's no, you know, there's no supporting of that. So they moved up to North Bay because there's a company up there that they can work with that isn't based on bums and seats in a theater production. They're, they're doing a bunch of development. So this person moved up to North Bay, got a new apartment. And so I'm watching all these artists, all these creatives kind of step away. People, new jobs, tons of people going back to school. And so to me, it's like seeing all those artists kind of filter into those other jobs, into those other ways uh, was really sad. Like to me, it was like we've just lost so much. But those people then go into those jobs and, and, and engage with those people on a level because I know that you just never stop being an artist. The thing that artists can do is this is why people want us to educate so, so much and people want us in spaces to engage with because there is a level of trepidation, fear. People get in these circles, like you said, and they don't know how to engage. And oftentimes artists step into those spaces and relieve that moment make it easy, allow people the opportunity to engage when they want because the artist steps into those spaces. And if those people filter all those jobs, that's the exciting thing is those people are going to be in positions where they're going to impact and say, I was an artist for 20 years, a professional artist in Toronto. It's the greatest decision I ever made. I had to transition because of COVID, but this is what it is. And so if more people see that there's a, there's a reality of like what arts is and, and the impacts it can have, that's, that's, that to me is a super exciting outcome of this if people have to leave the industry and the other thing i would say to you is like this the article around peru that was talking about truth and reconciliation that was the whole thing people were scared to engage with these this truth and reconciliation committee and so artists were brought in to ease their fears to talk to them to uh, 
to find the humanity and the and and the importance of what that is and that's the global that's what artists can do right now in terms of the fear around global warming and what can we do and you know lots of parents and lots of people be overwhelmed with that idea is the artist to ease saying it's the little things we need to start doing the little things we need to do this like you and I when we were there we had a scientist say to us we can give everyone all the data. We've been doing it for years and no one's listening. It's your responsibility as artists to create something that, so they hear it. Like we can give them all the data. You're the ones that are going to make it into art so that people actually engage with it. And that I've, I've, I've kept that in my head since I, I heard her say that in Banff. Well, do credit to that event. That was the, the summit that the National Arts Centre convened in April of 2019, so pre-COVID, and yep. uh, Sarah Garten Stanley and Chantal Bilodeau were the co-curators of that. I just want to give them a, a, a shout-out for that. Because, yep. And there's a really good report, on, and I'll put it in the episode notes of, from that event. It's too bad not everyone could be there, but those who were, that's where I met um, Alison Tickell from Julie's Bicycle in the yep. UK, and a lot of connections were made, and it's been hard. It's been really hard in COVID to not see each other. I'm so happy to see you. You too. In, in person. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and there's always a risk in impersonal contact now, but we do everything we can to be safe, but we also have to live our lives and go to plays. I'm going to a play next week in Ottawa, and I'm so excited about that, reconnecting with that live experience. And yet here I am creating a media piece because I also listen to podcasts when I run or when I'm doing the dishes. So Me too. There is that con. con combination of media relation to art and culture and the live experience and we're figuring that out um, and I, I think there's a lot of potential for us to to enrich the in live experience and to expand it with technology in ways that are it's also accessibility mm -hmm. like so many people especially with within the communities we work with and the artists who come from other communities whose families are not going to come to Toronto to see their shows that's been the biggest impact for us that we've seen is the response, people saying, I could see, I could share, share this with my family. I could, the accessibility options, mm -hmm. like if live theater should always be alive and, and I will advocate for that. And I love being in a theater with a bunch of people. It's one of the few places in the world right now where you ha all have to turn off your cell phones. Like we don't even watch TV now without our phones in our face. Like the idea of like being in a live space, even at hockey games or whatever, you're, people are still engaging in their media. A theater? Turn it all off. We all breathe together looking at the thing we need to watch in a room together. Like there's, that is such a rare thing in the world now that that's the power of live theater. But these things, these podcasts, these recordings and all that, the things super – just the way we can engage with an audience beyond so that maybe they then want to come to a live theater production. I mean I feel like the op opportunity is endless. Like it could be – it's really exciting. We're almost out of time. I have to get downstairs to the to the panel. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, share with us, Keith? Well, I did. Um, uh, so Chantel asked me to write. I wrote a five minute play for the global. Uh, what is it? Climate action theater. Yeah, climate change theater action. That's right. Action theater. Yeah. Right. So uh, and it. So I wrote, um, I, I had seen it and we had done a presentation of a bunch of, they're like short little plays and we did it for our festival one year. It was Corey Payette, Yvette Nolan, uh, Yolanda Banal, and I think it was Jimmy Blay. And so we showed their four pieces and each one dealt with climate 
issues. And it was just a short little play. And I was like so excited about it. I was like, I want to write one. And so they got, they asked me to write. They said, you know, we'd love you to be part of the 2021 version. And so if you go to their website, I get all these indications of like someone in Hamburg, Germany is doing a reading of my five minute play. It's called Apology Mai. And then someone in, you know, Perth, Australia and someone like you can look at a world map and see where all these people are engaging in the climate crisis through these little plays of like they're hosting these little plays and then having a larger conversation. And if there's any like you want to have faith in art, it's like students to like seniors to like people in their homes with friends like it can be anywhere they there's they say you can do it and if you can do it at your house you can do it out on the lawn at the university and i'm just seeing so many different communities put on these plays and there's there's i think there's a hundred plays like there's so many like i got a, a pdf of all these plays and 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 i've read a bunch of them and each one is very different from different voices from all around the world all talking about you know the climate crisis in a way that, you know, then people can just engage. And it isn't like someone has to go for a two-hour play. They watch three five-minute plays that are talking about things that are important to us as artists. And the, the immediacy of that is super exciting. And it's been one of the, like, I I tune in every day. I just look, see what the upcoming events are to see where 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 these plays are being done around the world. And it's, to me, I think it's a, a really exciting innovative kind of way of thinking about engaging with people around this stuff that's you know fits people's appetite for the moment well uh, i did an, an interview with santa and mm. a while ago so i'll play an excerpt um, of that now um if i can segue into another project that i do which is climate change theater action um this is a project we've been running since 2015 every other year we commissioned 50 plays uh, from playwrights from all over the world. Then we make these plays available to anybody who wants to organize an event in their community uh, within a certain time window. And for that project, we actually um, did a bit more of a formal study. I worked with Brooke Wood, who is uh, who wrote her dissertation about this project in 2019. And she looked at how the plays might affect people's behavior and um, some of the findings were what you would expect, but there was definitely a sense of wanting to, of course, people who go to the theater are already concerned. You're not going to go see a, a climate change play if you, <laughs> you're not interested in the theater and you're not interested in climate change. So there was that, but there's a, there was a sense of scaling the efforts of wanting to do something else, talk more about it or there was definitely a, a shift in engagement. It's always good to hear her voice because she's such an inspiring, oh. inspired person. Uh, works so hard. But I wonder if I, if I could produce uh, your play, you know, if I got some people together in yep. Ottawa, you know, how many characters is it? Mine is two. Okay. And mine is, mine is about the prime minister. Okay. It, it's in the future, and it's okay. the idea that the climate crisis is now real and it's happened, that the, the Arctic Circle has, has melted, and he's trying to get elected at a time when... All, all the, you know, all the bad stuff has happened. And he's talking to a speechwriter. And so him and a speechwriter are fighting about what they need to say, what they, like, what do you need to say to get elected? But what do we really need to say to people? Because it's, we're, we're in a crisis mode. And so it's this negotiation between the two, which is really funny. But there's a, there are a bunch of artists there, but you, and, and it's, and they're I, like, I want to do yours. You should do mine. You should. Especially it, in Ottawa. <laughs> it, definitely in Ottawa. And it's about the prime minister. And it's a, you know, 
I quite love I quite love the piece, and it was fun to write. It's fun and also heartbreaking, right? Yeah. I was like project like this idea of like futurisms. What does the future look like? Because I see that that's that's we're headed there, and what are those conversations we're having when we're in the middle of it? Because right now everyone's like, oh, we can stop it, we can stop it, we can stop it. What do we get when we get there and we say we can't? This is it. Like this is the reality in this. So what what do our politicians say then? Like, is there still going to be this idea of denial, you know, when there's no more ice up north? Like, when we don't have snowfall anymore? Like, to me, it's just like, so that was the kind of me embracing that idea and then, you know, trying to have a, just a bit of fun with that. What is the argument you have with someone who's trying to get you elected at a, at a place and in a moment when you, and he's, in, in the piece, he's made some mistakes in the past that are brought up. It's like, you know. So. so I'm going to announce now, take the risk of uh, assuming that I'll be able to pull together a production. <laughs> I'll, try to, I'll try to rope in my son, who's a really good actor. Love it. To tell you the role. And, uh, and we'll listen to it now. So Keith, tell me again what the title is. It's called Apology My. So it's, instead of my apology, it's putting the apology before myself. Okay. Is the, so it's called Apology My. Well, thanks for this conversation. And I, I hope people enjoy the play because I'm going to produce <laughs> it and slot it in right now. I hope now. you do too. Yeah. I will. We'll talk again. Cheers. Cheers. Apology My by Keith Barker. Playwright's introduction note. This play came out of exchanges I've had with my uncle over the years. He is a fervent climate change denier who believes it is a hoax drummed up by lefty pinkos. This play is me writing out my disillusion by imagining a revelation about the climate crisis through the eyes of a prime minister who finds herself on the wrong side of history. I'm sorry, I truly am. Mm, Now, you can't say that. Why not? Because you're you're making it, like, personal. Don't do that. It's an apology. Yeah, well, but you need to think of the bigger picture here. Okay, fine. Um... On behalf of the country... The country, the people, and whatever you want to call them, are not the ones who are sorry. The government is. Hmm. On behalf of the party... Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) It's not one party's fault, okay? It's every party's fault. You got that? (sighs) Mr. Speaker, I stand before you today to offer an official apology. There you go. The denial of climate change is a sad and regrettable chapter in our history. So I I like the chapters. This was a sad chapter, but this, this is a new chapter. In the last 150 years, populations were introduced to widespread electrification, internal combustion engines, the car, and the airplane. Sweet. Keep it in the past. Stay away from the future. This massive shift to fossil fuels exponentially increased material prosperity and measures of well-being. But we were wrong. We're never wrong. It was a mistake. Yeah, mistakes are just as bad as being wrong. Neither of them are going to get you votes. It was regrettable. Mm -hmm. Better. We are past the tipping point of climate change. Now we must deal with the full consequences of government failure. Mm -mm. Way too negative. Now we must deal with the consequences of inaction and a multi-generational culture of denial to maintain the status quo. Cut the last part. 
I think we need it. Mm, I think we don't. Keep going. Unprecedented warming cycles have melted the ice caps, causing the mass extinction of species. The acidification of the oceans has destroyed the majority of marine and mammal food chains. The occurrence of extreme weather events has vastly increased as sea levels continue to rise. You can't say all that. No. People already know this. Yeah, well then why are you saying it again? Because it's true. Truth is truth is overrated. Yeah, then why am I even giving this speech? Well, because politically, it's a smart move if we do it right. And it also makes you look like a prime minister. I am the prime minister. Yeah, well, you know, you know what I mean. I don't think so. Okay, look, don't focus on the small stuff. You need to ignore your instincts. Whatever feels right is wrong. You won't win this if you repeat mistakes. Don't put this all on me. Yeah, well, says the person who stood up in the House of Commons and denied the existence of climate change on the same day scientists announced the, climate, the Arctic Circle was ice-free. Well, they did that on purpose to make me look bad. Uh, what, melt the Arctic Circle? Oh, you know what I mean. I don't think I do. You really think you can fix this? Yeah, what do you think? You always answer a question with a question? Yeah, only the dumb ones. Right, okay. Where were we? Uh, somewhere between mass extinction and extreme weather conditions. Today, we recognize the denial of climate change was wrong. Okay, not wrong. But uh, regrettable. Beauty. I've already said regrettable. Yeah, you're going to say it a hundred more times, so get used to it. The fossil fuel industry actively misled the public and is largely to blame for the inaction on climate change, with capitalism being the driving force. Don't say the C word. Oh, why not? You can't be seen placing the blame on industry. Just over 100 companies are responsible for 71% of all the global greenhouse gas emissions. That is debatable. Okay, not if we're using science, it's not. (laughs) Where were you on that a few years ago? I'm trying to make up for my past mistakes. And that, my friend, is how you will kill your political career. I need to say this. No, no, you, you don't. You're talking to the base. These are card-carrying members. They voted for you because of your ideology. You can't just bait and switch these folks. You do that and you kiss the election goodbye. You're right. Thank you for that. Uh, for what? Didn't really hit me until you said my words back to me. What did I say? I'm sorry, I've said a lot. Mass extinction. Oh, come on. I'm just trying to get you re-elected here. This isn't about politics anymore. Everything is about politics. Sorry, but I need to do this. Let me do my job here. I'm a fixer. It's what I'm paid to do. Fix things. If you want this fixed, Mrs. Prime Minister, then you need to start listening to me pronto. Do not apologize. These altruistic feelings are fleeting. Trust me, when you think you found some clarity, you haven't. And when those feelings pass, and they will pass, you will regret having made a decision in a moment of weakness. Do you understand me? Perfectly. I think you need to go. You're making a big mistake. Maybe, maybe not. Let me help you. No, I think you've helped enough. Now if you'll excuse me, I've got a speech to write. Last chance. Really? Hey, fine, it's your funeral. Hey, you know what? I wasn't going to vote for you anyway. Oh, you broke your own rule. And what is that? Don't make it personal.